1015 WHMP. Grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worry on the... Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this Monday. It is August 1st, and hello to you, Dan. Hello, Buzz. Did you have a good weekend? I did have a good weekend. I'm really looking forward to... You know, I'm looking forward to what our forward uh, first Monday segment today uh, with Professor Emeritus uh, of Law, Bruce Miller. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it for a number of reasons, but one is uh, with escalating tuition, I get to learn for free by talking to Bruce Miller. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Buzz. How are you? Hey, Dan. Hey. I, I am uh, excited. I know that uh, the last time we talked, we were speaking about the uh, so many of the dreadful aspects of what's happening with the Supreme Court of the United States, the rulings in particular, the Dobbs ruling that, uh, that basically eradicated uh, Roe versus Wade and all the reproductive rights that women enjoyed under that. Um, and you ended our July first Monday segment by talking about um, something that uh, was a real different take for me. You, were, you began talking about the inadequacy of the United States Constitution, and uh, I wanted to pick up where we left off. Can you, uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, th thanks, Buzz, for hearkening back to that, to that discussion. You know, it's been, we're, we're, you know, a little over a month out now from these three devastating decisions, the Dobbs case that you just mentioned, uh, and the gun case, and West Virginia against EPA, which effectively crippled our federal government's ability to address uh, climate change. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, 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 a listener and a reader, and there have been pieces in the Gazette that have addressed uh, what to do. Uh, about the Supreme Court and, and, and lots of interesting ideas uh, like uh, uh, perhaps expanding the number of justices or establishing term limits, things that address the court it, itself. And, and I have found myself skeptical of whether these ideas are, would work very well, and I've been trying to examine why. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process that, of course, uh, it takes any of us a, a while to figure out. And, and as far as I've gotten in thinking about this, I, I think in a way this, this last term is, is a symptom um, of inadequacies in our Constitution that have been there from the beginning. And, and it, let, me, let me explain that a, a little bit. Uh, we all know that uh, this majority, this six to three majority that, that President Trump was able to fashion, he was able to put together only because he got office through the Electoral College, lost the popular vote. Uh, President Bush, the second who appointed uh, two of the six, uh, achieved presidential office because of the Electoral College. So five of the six justices are there because of the Electoral College. And these last three, of course, we notoriously saw them, uh, they notoriously uh, achieved their positions because of the United States Senate and the ability of the person who controls the Senate, Mitch McConnell, to control the nomination and confirmation process. 
So uh, the Senate uh, represents states, not people. Right now, about 40% of the population of the United States is represented by the Republicans in the Senate and roughly 60% by the Democrats. Uh, and yet uh, the Republicans are able uh, e- effectively to control the Senate most of the time and all the time for judicial purposes. So we have these two profoundly anti-democratic institutions that are baked into the Constitution to begin with and are largely responsible for the ability of right-wing presidents to uh, appoint right-wing justices. And for most of our history, that's how it's worked. Uh, you know, we came of age, you and I did, at a time when, when the Warren Court served as a, a sort of counterexample. And we progressives have uh, uh, sort of uh, had a long romance with the Constitution and with judicial review as a tool for, uh, well, expanding and protecting our democracy. And these decisions have, have, I think, by revealing the undemocratic structure that underlies the Constitution, have given us reason to doubt, uh, you know, the, the further usefulness of that, of that alliance. Buzz, may, may Dan interrupt? Please do, Dan. And, and, okay. I am going to take the counter position, and I'd love for you to refute it here. Oh, so, great. This is, this is it. Are you ready for this? So yeah. I'm going to build the argument I, here. Sure. Okay. So let's go back to 1932. From 1932 yes. to 1968, we had yes. one Republican president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, yes. who today is ignored yes. completely as a president. So for a good yes. three decades, over three decades worth, yes. we had democratically elected presidents nominating officials to the Supreme Court, the federal yes. judiciary system. We had our yep. reign for that era, and of course, we had many of the rights that you talked about in the '60s that that were very yep. important. That today we, you know, respect, even though they're under attack. When you look back at all of that, do you say like, okay, we are maybe entering a conservative movement, but let's not forget that from '32 to '68, the Democrats were in, in power. What do you say to somebody who thinks yep. this is just a phase? We'll rebound because we've always done that. Yeah, well, I, I, listen, it's an argument that, that I respect and in, and in many ways have spent a good part of my life not only subscribing to, but sort of acting politically on the basis of that argument. Um, I'm, I'm beginning to question it now. Uh, my, my argument is not so much liberal conservative as it is democratic anti-democratic. That, that is uh, the, the minority has the ability through the Senate and through the Electoral College, in effect, to control who who the judges um, are. Um, added to that um, is that we do not have uh, a right to vote, even in federal elections mm-hmm. in our Constitution. Um, the right to vote is protected against racial discrimination, uh, at least on the face of it, but it is not granted anywhere. State legislatures decide the rules for voting in federal elections. And the ability of state legislatures to control those voting rights 
uh, I think profoundly affects who does get uh, elected Mm. to the Senate and indeed to the presidency. Now, you're right that 1932 and 1968 is a long time. And it was a period where we justifiably developed, I think, uh, an allegiance to the Supreme Court as a vessel for progressive change. Um, I, I guess I want to say that our, our, our stretch before then and after that uh, counts as a, overall a substantially longer period uh, the, other, the other way. Mm. But the main argument is an argument about, about democracy. Um, and the inability of the Constitution uh, to reflect the democratic will of the people. And right now, we're seeing that come home to roost with the results of these uh, Supreme Court appointments that President Trump was able to make. I have, I have one more question before I, I let Buzz here ask a question. Buzz, if it's sure. okay. All right. So I, I want you to talk a little bit about the original founding fathers and their discussion of, around yes. democracy, because yes. while I understand the majoritarian position of this is popular opinion, yep. this is the will of the people, is it yep. true that a lot of them also believe that while this is an important, arguably the most important aspect of a democracy, they also were worried about what a majoritarian position could do to the government, to the structure of people. So they wanted to tame it in many ways, right? They wanted to bring in the Senate and anti-majoritarian, which is why they had the Electoral College not to make the president directly. Why do you think that experiment is now not working as well as it has done since it originally began in 1776? Uh, I I would argue that that it it is, it, it, did not work well from the very beginning, and that instead we had uh, an exceptional period where we had justices on the Supreme Court who were themselves small-D Democrats and who articulated a conception of individual rights that was aimed at enhancing democratic rule. But the framers were afraid to death of uh, threats to property, and Mm. not just property in human beings through slavery, but property generally. And they did not want direct democracy, hence the Senate, which represents states, and and the Electoral College, which calls for um, indirect uh, election of the president. It was all about, and then finally, this, this grant of power to the state legislatures to control votes, the property were expected to control the state legislatures who in turn would decide who got to vote. So uh, when the far right claims that we are a republic and not a democracy, we have a point. They have a point. Um, and I guess my argument is that it was that way uh, by design. Now, I don't mean to say that I favor a tyranny of the majority or that the constraints from the Bill of Rights are not important. But the constraints of the Bill of Rights, read properly, um, ought to be protections which enhance democracy rather than impede it. Uh, most importantly, the, fir- the First Amendment. But but the but the uh, the other uh, rights that we have taken for granted, like privacy rights, are all about ensuring the the kind of autonomy that is needed for independent political citizenship. Hmm. So it's, you know, a, a proper conception of, of rights uh, d- depends, I think, 
on a commitment to democracy. Mm. And I'm not sure that our constitutional structure has ever had that commitment. And if I could just quickly add, the Supreme Court is going to take a, a position on the state legislature doctrine which is coming up in this next session, which to me, I very much agree with you, despite taking opposition a little bit here to spur some debate. I, I worry about that decision. Right now, it seems like there's four against, four in favor, and perhaps one person could be swayed by either side. So we'll see what happens there. But to me... We will. To me, that's a really terrifying decision. If the state legislature can decide how the Electoral College will be decided regardless of the vote, then what is the point of voting if the state, if the yes. state legislatures get to that's ultimately right. make that's the decision? Right. You negate the ability of there be a popular will. And I think they're, they're, they're stepping too far. They're overreaching themselves, despite the, the right believing the left has done that. They are overreaching, far overreaching. And there are a lot of conservatives very much openly attacking this uh, move and this power grab. And so I don't know how it will play out next year, but it is a chilling uh, effect uh, that it could have, I think, on the political system. Well, I, I think, Professor Bruce Miller, you have uh, sort of uh, inspired Dan to, uh, to, to actively talk about this. I, I am really interested in exploring this after the break. I, I can never lose sight of the fact that there are 40 million Californians who have the same exact uh, uh, say in the U.S. Senate as 690,000 Vermonters. It, exactly. System, and we call it democracy. We say one person, one vote, and yet, I don't know, 40 million to 700,000, it doesn't feel like it's in balance. We're going to talk more with Bruce Miller. We're going to question some of the assumptions that we've made, all of us, myself, top of the list about the, the uh, effectiveness of the U.S. constitutional model that we all rely on and speak of with reverence. We'll be right back after these messages. Please stay with us. Decisions are happening over dinner. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. They emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed. Rose. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened. Will Donald Trump be indicted? And if so, what crimes will he likely be indicted for? Join us for a special edition of Crime and Punishment with defense attorney and former head of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Springfield, John Pucci, who will be our guest Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more, deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are buried in berries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, schnozberries. Okay, they don't have any schnozberries. 
but they've got every other kind of local berry going. State Street, Root Store, and Cooper's Corner have always offered produce, picked by our Connecticut River Valley neighbors as soon as and as long as they're available. So come get fruit at a fruit store. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street Fruit Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. You know, Gordy, I was thinking, now that it's just you and me hosting the Cambridge Connection each week, we're sort of like, I don't know, one of those famous radio teams. You know who I mean. You mean like Bonnie and Clyde? We aren't that famous yet, but what we get to share every week with our listeners is expert knowledge from a community of people who are making a difference every day by helping others achieve financial independence and freedom. And that includes your day job as a rock star counselor at Cambridge Credit Council. One of the reasons I love being a part of the Cambridge Connection is that we have the opportunity to share real stories of people and organizations that make a difference across all aspects of financial wellness. And we also get to share stories of real people with real financial problems and offer possible options they can follow to turn a negative financial situation into a positive one because everyone's situation is different. So folks, join myself, Tina Marie, and our special guests and experts each and every week right here on The Cambridge Connection on WHMP. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And it is the first Monday in August, and it is first Monday with Professor Emeritus of Law, Bruce Miller, who has inspired quite a debate during the break. It continued. That's what good professors do, is they inspire debate about uh, whether or not the Constitution was really designed for democracy. Bruce Miller, was it designed to be democratic? Uh, you know, as we were talking during the break, uh, it's a it's a compromise of of what of what you might call a democratic ideals uh, with uh, well this notion of a virtuous republic, the idea that uh, aristocratic men of property with the means to look out for the common wheel, will do so, and that they ought to, for that reason, have more power than the rest of us. And that uh, idea of, of, uh, of, of an aristocracy of merit uh, tied to property is, is uh, inextricably tied to the Constitution. I mean, it protects property explicitly in, in the Fifth Amendment in a couple of places, um, and these structures of indirect election of the president and, and the uh, state legislative control of voting and, and the Senate are, are all tied to, to this small r Republican um, idea. And, and it's, it's, it's not as though there's, there's nothing to this idea of civic republicanism. Uh, uh, virtuous politicians are wonderful to imagine. They're just hard to achieve. Um, and, of course, the link between virtue and property uh, has always been uh, deeply uh, dubious. So uh, all of this is not accidental, or the things that I'm worried about are not accidental. They're purposefully baked into the Constitution to limit the people uh, out of uh, fear on the part of the, of the, of the framers uh, of, of what, what they feared would be uh, excesses of democracy. 
Right, the fears of the ruling elite. So during the break, we were talking about, well, why don't we have a unicameral, um, more representative uh, structure so that if we eliminated the Senate, which has over and over and over again dashed the hopes of people who are really trying to aspire to pro-human legislation and humanistic judges, why don't we just eliminate the Senate and then we'll have a House of Representatives with whatever it is, 435 or another number that we pick, delegates. Right now they represent about 760,000 people each. And let them govern, to which Dan replied, well, the fear is that we then have the tyranny of the majority. And yep. Bruce Miller, don't we now have the tyranny of the minority? Well, we we do, in a way, have have the tyranny of the minority. If we look at these uh, these decisions from this uh, last term, uh, the EPA decision is it explicitly stymies the power of our elected representatives uh, to take the steps necessary to quell disaster from climate change. Um, the gun decision uh, similarly rules out taking any steps to address uh, all of, of the disaster of firearms proliferation uh, directly in any way. And, and the court kind of uh, sanctimoniously acknowledges that the overruling of Roe was also anti-democratic. Uh, they don't, didn't bother to ask how it could turn out that if abortion rights are supported by a majority, nevertheless, various legislatures have the capacity to restrict them. And that's, of course, tied right back into these structural features that we've been talking about. So we, we in a way, um, have a, a, a tyranny of the minority right now. And the question is whether or not historically and structurally that kind of, uh, of minority obstructionism is, is built in uh, to uh, our, our method of governance that, that we live under through our Constitution. In the, in the one minute that we have left before we break, what do you propose people think about or do in order to really confront the possibility that the Constitution we revere may be so flawed? For, for, for starters, uh, those, those of us uh, who, who identify with small-D democracy and political progressivism, uh, we, we ought to first start thinking about uh, our, our traditional uh, alliance with constitutionalism um, and especially with judicial review as a, as a useful tool. I'm not suggesting that we have any way out of, uh, of, of our constitutional uh, governance. Uh, we have it, uh, and barring uh, uh, amendment uh, and barring a, perhaps a new constitutional convention, we have this constitution. I'm really suggesting that we question to what extent we want to try to use the tools given to us by the constitution. Uh, as ways of achieving our goals, that or whether or not we ought to uh, instead uh, focus much more on grassroots agitation than on uh, either electoral politics or judicial uh, review. Um, and longer term, 
uh, as I think I mentioned last time, it might be time to start thinking about a new constitution, uh, one that is more suited uh, to the 21st century than to the 18th. And the only way to get from here to there would be through a constitutional convention. And and I shudder almost uh, to say that phrase because I associate it so much with the wish of reactionaries to turn back progressive constitutional rights. But but I guess my own my own thinking is is has been severely challenged, let me say, by by this last term. Well, retired or no, you are a professor who gets us thinking, and I know I appreciate it. I know Dan does, and I'm sure our listeners do. Thank you, Bruce. We're looking forward to first Monday in September to continue Terrific. learning more about the system that we are. All right. Have a great month. Um, next, exactly. we're going to be talking with uh, Amy Callahan, the Downtown Northampton Association Executive Director. Megan Zinn is going to be here speaking with her. We'll be right back after these messages. When I was given my this is the command. afternoon buzz with I Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. their deaths first I made every mistake and felt the shame rise in me. And even now the Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. House and Senate negotiators struck early morning agreements Monday on sports betting and mental health access, but will keep a significant economic development bill in conference committee as they continue to wrestle with an existing law that could trigger nearly $3 billion in tax relief this year. The decision means the one-time rebates of $250 to eligible individual taxpayers and $500 to married taxpayers who file jointly, which lawmakers have promoted in recent weeks, will not be issued as of now. A sweeping abortion bill designed to protect access to the procedure in Massachusetts was signed into law Friday by Governor Baker. The new law attempts in part to build a firewall around abortion services in the state. State Rep. Lindsay Sabadosa spoke out in favor of the bill. It includes several pieces of legislation that the state could address in order to be better prepared for what we believe will be more and more patients traveling to states where abortion is not illegal. The law protects abortion providers and people seeking abortions from actions by other states, including blocking the governor from extraditing anyone charged in another state, unless the act for which extradition is sought would be punishable in Massachusetts. And the Northwestern District Attorney's Office is issuing a safety warning to take precautions when working on cars. This comes after two emergency calls last month in Montague and Athol, where carjacks failed while the car was being repaired. Both calls resulted in fatalities. DA David Sullivan says with two similar accidents coming so close together, they want to urge people working on cars to use proper equipment and take particular care on gravel driveways. For the rest of today, partly sunny, highs 82 to 86. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 62 to 66. And the only for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, chance for an afternoon shower, thunderstorm, highs in the upper 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, your message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back to those who are with us. Thank you for those who are joining us after speaking with Professor Bruce Miller about the Constitution and having a federal focus. We're going to go local. Megan Hyper-local. Vin, who do you have for uh, Well, my guest today is Amy Kaling, who is the executive director of the Downtown Northampton Association, better known as the DNA to some people. Or in this building, they call me DNA me. D- oh, I like that. Uh, I DNA think like that was that. a Monty coinage. It sounds like it. That's beautiful. Um, and I will ask Amy to join me today to talk about how the pandemic has affected Northampton. So indeed, hyperlocal. Um, and to introduce you, Amy, um, Amy is a Smith grad who couldn't escape the pull of the valley like so many of us. Um, and after a career as an attorney and being involved in a local nonprofit community, the local nonprofit community for over a decade, Amy was hired in 2016 as the first executive director of the DNA. Again, the Downtown Northampton Association. So to start, Amy, tell us what the DNA is. Sure. We are a hyper-local nonprofit organization which supports the downtown Northampton um, community. And we do that in three general ways. We put on community events. We do maintenance and beautification downtown. So things like the holiday lights and Mm -hmm. the hanging baskets and the island planters. And then advocacy. So, Mm. um, you know, any work that we can do to support the business and nonprofit community uh, in downtown. And what what are your responsibilities as executive director? Everything? Um, <laughs> yes, chef, cook, and bottle washer. Okay. Is that the um, description? I believe that is. <laughs> um, everything to keep the organization going. I have an amazing board of directors that um, supports me, so it, it's not just a, a one-person job, but I have a team behind me. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, and so how has the role of the DNA and your role in it changed during the pan- how did it change during the pandemic and in the subsequent God only knows what time in literally every way possible every yeah um, <laughs> okay that's what I suspected pre-pandemic we were very event focused mm-hmm. so we do things like arts night out holiday stroll sidewalk sales that you may have just gone to oh it did um, there you go the weather was amazingly lovely Perfect. for ninety percent um, so pre-pandemic that was I'd say much, if not most of my work, mm-hmm. um, yeah, m- maintenance and beautification, you know, most of the rest of it and advocacy was a one-off, uh, topic maybe here or there. And in COVID, as you might imagine, um, events came to a screeching halt. It, indeed. Um, and while we certainly did do what we can to, uh, beautify downtown advocacy was what took over, um, yeah, all of my job responsibility became just getting the downtown community and the small businesses through COVID 
um, however we could. Yeah, and tell me some. Um, I we talked um, several weeks ago to Robin, the owner of the Roost, and yes. she talked about how indispensable you were for her and getting some loans um, and you know um, tapping into the funds mm-hmm. that were out there. So can you give me some more examples of the stuff that the kind of advocacy you were doing for these um, businesses? Sure. <laughs> I said to somebody recently that um, I never realized so much of my job would be handing things out of my car in the trunk in the parking lot behind a building. But um, if it, some of the advocacy was very hands-on, um, it was getting people face masks and ah, hand sanitizer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when those things were hard to come by or when people weren't sure which iteration of those things was the allowable um, version. So we did a lot of that tangible kind of support. Mm-hmm. Um, we did very community grassroots support. So, yeah. um, so many people I'm sure listening out there contributed to Feed the Front Lines, which was an effort we did to support mm-hmm. the restaurant community. Yes, that was a wonderful program. Um, and we paid local restaurants to provide meals mm-hmm. to, at that time, frontline workers at Cooley Dickinson and right. at a couple of local um, uh, nursing homes. So some of that work. And then we stayed in constant touch with our amazing local legislators, Reps Abadosa yeah. and Comerford, uh-huh. to help them advocate for any and all dollars mm-hmm. that they could yep. get to support our small businesses in whatever way possible. Um, and then there were some other local uh, grant efforts. Mm-hmm. The Chamber of Commerce partnered um, to create a grant program for small businesses mm-hmm. during COVID. Right. Um, basically anything that we could, anything we heard of, we um, <laughs> applied for or Pursued, told yeah. the right person to apply for or yeah. um, talk to our legislators so they could try and get those funds. Yeah. And what do you think, um, what factors help businesses that have been able to survive, which mm-hmm. very sadly is not all of them, um, those that did, what are the factors do you think helped them survive this? I, a couple of things. I think first, our, we're lucky that our community is a community that it. Um, we don't have to educate people about mm. the importance of shopping local. That's yes, sort of just what sure. we do here in Northampton. And so I think that set a really strong um, base level of support for our businesses where we could say, okay, community, it's time to, you know, really step up and shop local and people responded. Yes. Um, I also think that businesses that had a strong online presence Mm -hmm. or that were able to get, get a strong online presence together quickly, that made it much easier for them. Um, to survive. So um, the one that first comes to mind is A to Z, mm-hmm. um, oh, was able to put together job. a great online shopping experience, um, which I think m- made it easier yeah. for, certainly yeah. not easy, but easier for a store like them to survive. Yeah. And they tapped in, they got smart and tapped into what do people want right now? Puzzles, family games. Exactly. And I think they, they exactly. Um, so, you know. so that's another thing. There are certain stores, um, you know, whatever certain odd things we all gravitated towards during the pandemic, if you were a store that carried them, um, that certainly helped as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so admit all these challenges of the pandemic. Um, did you see any positives? In the, maybe not. Maybe the answer is no. But did you see any positives in the way it's impacted Northampton? Um, I hate to say that COVID gave us any positives whatsoever. Well, but <laughs> I understand that. Agreed. I'd rather it didn't happen. I would rather it didn't happen. However, if it had to happen, uh, I do think that um, the biggest positives I saw were, were relational. Hmm. So oh. I know um, just for me personally, I feel like I developed a much stronger relationship on the whole with our downtown business community than I had pre-COVID. And I feel like there have been partnerships between businesses and business owners that came up um, that may have come up anyway Mm -hmm. without COVID, but I feel like we were all sort of forced into this 
situation where we had to band together to survive. Yes. Um, yeah. Seems like, like some Lord yeah. of the Fly situation, but <laughs> I think it it um, we were all in this unprecedented, though I hate to use that word, situation. Yeah, we all got tired um, of that word, but it and, was. <laughs> but it was. Um, and so I think I think the relationship aspect of it um, is probably the biggest silver yeah. lining for me. And then I think if you are a store that. Um, did put together an online presence because of COVID, or you are a restaurant mm-hmm. that developed a new takeout program because of COVID. Yeah. Um, I think those are um, positive things that that I suspect will carry on yeah. post COVID yeah. if we ever get to a true post COVID. <laughs> Megan, Megan Zinn is talking with her guest, the executive director of the Downtown Northampton Association, Amy Callahan. I have, I think that this transcends COVID. I don't mean to change the subject, but for me, when I think about Northampton. What can um, the uh, DNA do or Chamber of Commerce do about escalating rental prices? Because to us, our greatest fear is that Northampton be sort of invaded any further by chains Mm -hmm. and by uh, uh, franchises rather than locally grown Sure. Stores. And sometimes locally grown stores just can't afford the escalating rental prices that landlords right. who want to make their own profit. Yeah. So how do we resolve that problem, maybe? Well, it, it, as you were talking, I thought of a couple things and not to change the topic back to COVID. However, um, I think part of the solution or a solution for these escalating prices driving out small businesses um, lays in the hands of the landlords. And I think many of the landlords during COVID... Um, you know, waived rent or cut rent or made concessions specifically because they wanted to make sure that those small independent businesses stayed. And I think that those same landlords, or I would like to think, um, recognize that there are many of those landlords are Northampton residents mm-hmm. themselves, and they don't want a main street that's filled with Target and the Gap. No shame on those businesses. Right. Um, and so they don't I think, belong in North downtown Northampton. <laughs> right. And I think that, so I think that there are landlords who are doing what they can to make sure that small businesses um, are still able to find a home in downtown Northampton. Yeah, and it's not yeah. obviously not in the interest of the landlords for um, for our small businesses to be priced out because then Northampton won't be the destination that it is. People right. are not going to come right. here from all over New England, all over the country to shop when they could go anywhere else anywhere and shop else. at the same places. And I think there are um, uh, there are a couple of uh, realtors that I've spoken with about this issue as well who are making a concerted effort when they talk to their commercial landlords to say here is X is a square is a fair price per square foot for downtown Northampton to keep it um, competitive for a landlord in the market, but also keep it um, accessible to a small business. So I feel like a landlord-realtor partnership um, is probably the best way. I'm not sure what the DNA as an independent little organization Mm -hmm. could do to combat the... um, struggles of economic disparity <laughs> and everything else contributing yes. to rental those, those increases. Forces. In the <laughs> one minute we have before we take a break, maybe Megan can help me with this, but mm-hmm. uh, Callahan, uh, what is the difference between the responsibilities, the jurisdiction, if you will, of the, the Northampton Chamber, the Greater Northampton Chamber of Commerce, 
and the Downtown Northampton Association. Right. How are they different? Happy to answer. Um, I, the way I think of it is the scope and geographic location. So the Downtown Northampton Association is really targeted on Downtown Northampton. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there are issues that overlap um, with Downtown Northampton and the rest of Northampton, and sometimes there are things that are very specific to downtown. Coming to mind is um, Main Street reconstruction, for example. Right. Um, and so our our focus is very much on the geographic area that comprises downtown and the businesses that are within that area um, and the events and beautification we mm -hmm. do inside that zone. The Chamber of Commerce is a, a regional entity that has a much broader range and that is able to do um, broader programming to support a wider range of businesses in a wider geographic area. Right. Got it. We're going to take a break. We're going to then be back. I, I love this conversation. And thank you, Megan, for, for bringing Amy on. We're going to be back with Megan Zinn and with Amy Callahan of the Downtown Northampton Association right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It's happening here in the Valley. We're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 101.5-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. CNA is like family you can trust that gives you hope and confidence that there is always support for various situations. They help dreams come true. Do you want to be a part of Center for New Americans? Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587-0084. Center for New Americans, with offices in Amherst, Northampton, and Greenfield. Local heroes faced threats. Listen up. This matters. I'm Lewis Black, and this is the Civil Liberties Minute with ACLU attorney Bill Newman. Local heroes faced threats was a recent headline for the Associated Press story about the, quote, chilling, tearful, 
testimony from local election officials to the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol and the efforts to prevent Joe Biden from being sworn in as president. Those local officials in key battleground states testified about being leaned on to reject ballots and to submit alternate electors who would vote contrary to the results of the elections in their states. As one official put it, there were a lot of threats wishing death upon me. Congressman Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th committee, praised those local officials who stood for accuracy and honesty in the counting of ballots, characterizing them as the backbone of democracy. Chairman Thompson succinctly summarized the threat this way. A handful of election officials in key states stood between Donald Trump and the upending of democracy. Although the January 6th committee has not yet written its report, one conclusion already is clear. The United States has taken great pride in the strength of our democracy. And yet it turns out that our democracy actually is fragile. The Civil Liberties Minute is made possible by the American Civil Liberties Union because freedom can't defend itself. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And this is Monday Afternoon with Megan Zinn. Megan. Hi. Um, so my guest uh, is Amy Kaylane, and she is the executive director of the Downtown Northampton Association. And we're talking about nor- the impact that the um, pandemic has had on Northampton, the continuing impact. Um, and on that note, um, what, what do you see as right now the primary challenges uh, for Downtown Northampton and, and its businesses right now, sort of as we're in this what I call uh, semi-maybe post-pandemic era, which <laughs> I don't I really think, think we are. In. Um, that maybe encapsulates the challenge, that semi-maybe possibly. Yes. It's this, um, I think one of the biggest challenges is that there is still so much uncertainty, um, mm-hmm. which I think makes it very hard to plan ahead. Right. Um, and that combined with staffing challenges and supply chain issues and rising costs, I think is making it just a really challenging time to run a small business. Hard to plan for a holiday season when you're hoping will be open, right. but it's also expensive to buy the things, and who knows if they might get here in time. Yeah, um, particularly if you're if you're dealing with food. Right, right. Um, even even riskier. Um, and uh, oh, this might be a repetition a bit, but how do you see the pandemic has changed Northampton? If if it has, I mean, I think we've all been changed, uh, both uh, both the humans <laughs> and the um, and physical entities. Yes. Um, well, I the the first thing which comes to mind is that we've lost so many businesses. We have. Um, and uh, though I'll say that I think for many of those businesses, there's been a natural turnover because many of those owners were getting ready to retire. Right. That, that was and certainly I think, true. Um, the pandemic made that timing decision easier. <laughs> yes. Cannot blame them at all. Right. Um, but if you walk downtown um, and just read the storefronts, the names on the businesses today are very different um, in some areas than they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so that for me is the biggest change. It feels like there's a generational shift happening mm, downtown. Interesting. Um, that's, again, not really the the fault of COVID, but I think that that's... COVID a, may have sped it up. I think it's... I think it may have sped it up a bit. Um, and that to me is the most notable change. Um, there are some empty storefronts. Um, there are. Um, some of which were the result of COVID, others that are just um, perpetually empty. Yes, <laughs> yes. the effect of it. Um, specific economic 
And conditions. so, I, you know, that's also an impact of COVID. But ha- we've been tracking um, since COVID started. We um, unfortunately started tracking businesses closing, but then mm-hmm. we started tracking businesses opening opening within all of Northampton. And we've, um, if I remember this correctly, we have more businesses that have opened, I believe, 40 new businesses oh, wow. that opened, mm-hmm. 30 that closed. So okay. we are, yeah. if you just look at numbers, we're mm-hmm. ahead of the curve. That's, that's um, but there comforting. are some, um, and it is, it, it sometimes, I feel comforted by that. <laughs> I think the harder part, though, is that there are some iconic downtown storefronts yes. that are currently empty. And yes. that is, is hard to walk by, mm-hmm. um, though in in some cases the properties have been sold and there will be new things coming in, but it's um, it's still hard to walk by, you know, faces and see yeah. the empty window or yeah. Silverscape. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, or, um, um, or um, Go Berry. It was Go, a rough one for yes, me. Um, Sylvester's was um, oh, yeah. a rough one. <laughs> we probably shouldn't do this. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, sort of the opposite end of that. Um, <laughs> what um, what can you tell us about? I know that um, you tend to have your finger on the pulse of what is coming in, what new businesses are opening. And I say, you know, God bless you to anybody who opens a business right, right. now and people who opened it at the height of the pandemic. It's like, wow, more power to you. Um, what What's coming? What businesses are opening that you can tell us about? Um, I oh. Let me think about what I can tell you about. Um, I can I first I'll say one business that just opened mm-hmm. um, within the past I'd say two weeks is called um, Spill the Tea Sis Apothecary. Oh, they opened. Okay, they opened in um, the space that used to be Tim's Used Books and previously was Adams Jewelers. Right. Um, they're open. They opened right before sidewalk sales and then joined right into sidewalk sales. Um, coming in the old Convino space, which is the basement of right. Thorns, mm-hmm. there is a new restaurant opening there called Tell Us in the Satellite Bar, um, which should be opening, I think, um, in the next couple of weeks-ish. And has a, a pizza fo- kind of focus, or am I making that I up? I believe, and if they're listening, I hope I don't really butcher <laughs> this, I believe that, that it's going to be sort of a bistro and pizza okay. Sounds good. type establishment. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, it's some local folks who are running oh, it. Um, so I'm very excited. I think it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think of... You know, as, as you're mentioning some of these um, storefronts where people are going in and who was there before and who was there before, it's really a measure of how long one one has been in Northampton is how many businesses, for any given storefront, how many how many of the businesses that you exactly. can name. I, I've been here for about 24 years and I was, every once in a while I'm like, wow, I, I'm finally one of those people who can say, you know, yes, it was, it was this and then it was this and then it was this. And I then feel it like that's this. how oh, I, I can... Date. I remember multiple haberdashers and now I forget oh. what happened. Yeah, I remember there was one in the space that is now um, the ticket, the ticket place. Oh, I, I think. Oh no, that me. Yeah, or I was not or a maybe, haberdasher. Or maybe it was something else. Maybe I'm just making that up. <laughs> um, so, um, what what initiatives or programs does the DNA have coming up? I know we just passed the sidewalk sales, sidewalk and that's sales. an important um, activity that you guys do. We have um, a bunch of events coming between now and the end of the year, which we're very excited about. Um, as I mentioned, we do Arts Night out every month, oh, and yes. um, we have our regular Arts Nights out coming up, but we also have a couple of special ones. So in August, we do a Jazzy Arts Night Out mm-hmm. in partnership with um, the Northampton Jazz Festival. We'll have music in four different spots Excellent. downtown, including The Roost, um, since we mentioned them earlier. Yes. And then in September, we do the Chalk Art Festival, mm-hmm. um, and we have a huge number of venues signed on that would like to host a chalk artist. Oh, so good. if you are listening to me say these words and you're a local artist, um, please uh 
please reach out to the DNA if you would like to draw on the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, because there's plenty of space and we're trying to make this event a really big one. We also, I think I could tease today, are um, bringing back an iteration of the Taste of Northampton. Oh my gosh, people September. are going to love that. So people are will, still mourning the loss of that. It will not be the taste of yore. It will be mm, a different okay. scope, different mm -hmm. location, um, but but I would say later this week we will have information out about that. Oh, that's wonderful. So tell me what the um, the Arts Night Out, those yes. are the second... Um, the second Friday of the month, is second that Friday of the month from five to eight. Okay. Um, and that is, um, galleries and other places are open and, um, have music in them and, and welcome people. Yes. And that's particular. another, um, that was a quirky COVID change. So, uh, mm -hmm. Arts Night Out, uh, we invite people into small spaces to share food and drink. Yeah. We don't um, do that so much anymore. That was not the greatest COVID plan. So it's just starting to come back now in slightly different iterations. We try and do outside, um, as much as we can. So, right. and um, just as in, in our last couple of minutes, what is the, tell me again the date of the chalk festival? It is Friday, September 9th. Oh, All day. All wonders. And then they stay up uh, until they get washed until away by it the rains. rains. Yes, of course. Um, so, thank you, Amy Kayleen, for, for coming in and talking to us today about Northampton and, and where it's going and, and how it's surviving. <laughs> I love the conversation. It flew by. So, have me back anytime. Good. All right. And thank you. Uh, Megan for bringing Amy on. Everybody, join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock for the afternoon buzz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. Looking to take a little breather from the news? We don't blame you. Why don't you turn the dial over to our pure oldie station, 96.9. It's the music you grew up with. WHMP and the news will be right here when you get back. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5